May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm losing my voice a little bit, so I'm going to take my mask off. I apologize. It is so truly wonderful to be back here with all of you, serving in ministry alongside you. And from what I've heard over the last few days at the office, talking to members of the staff, your hard work of uniting, serving, and being the light of Christ in the world is bearing fruit in many different directions. I am so very proud of you, and it is so awesome to see you. I want to start today, though, by thanking my clergy and staff who have worked tirelessly over the last three months, supporting and nurturing our community, among them being Holly Herring, Myra Kingsley, Rosa Brown, Eric Goldstrom, Clarissa Kubat, Cheryl Hamadi, Dennis Manuelito, and Cliff Golden. And we also owe Cliff a big round of thanks because we have air conditioning today because of his hard work and coordination in making that happen. <laughs> I'm also very grateful to Lisa Derrick, our senior warden, to Michael Smithson, our junior warden, as well as our cathedral chapter members of the finance committee and each and every one of you that serve in ministry in your neighborhoods, in your homes, in your places of employment, pretty much everywhere you go on a daily basis. Thank you so much. Over the next few weeks, I'll talk more about my sabbatical and the ways in which I sensed God doing marvelous work and deeds in the midst of the people of Trinity Cathedral. But today, either God has a really twisted sense of humor or our readings that we use for the lectionary, I, I drew the, the wrong straw because I have now been invited back to share the good news by telling you about the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. If that's not a warm welcome back, I don't know what is. <laughs> First though, I want us to see the readings that we hear today through the lens of our second reading. The letter to the Ephesians reminds us that we are destined to be God's adopted children through Jesus. Most of you have heard me preach about this before, about adoption, but if you haven't, I'll just say this. In the early first century, with Roman law, when someone was adopted, they became part of the family and were permanently incorporated into the full household. There was no legal recourse to unadopt or disinherit. Biological children could be disinherited, but adopted children could not be. Once you were adopted, you belonged for all time. And so the letter to the Ephesians today makes a very important point to us. It reminds us that we are destined to be God's adopted children through Jesus. I bring this up today because today's gospel story tells us of the beheading of John the Baptist. It's the only other story in Mark's gospel where there's an execution besides Jesus' crucifixion. This story is inserted fairly soon into the narrative of Mark's gospel, and I would tend to think that it must have been a jarring, shocking, and unwelcomed event to the disciples 
And this mostly, most likely sent theological shockwaves into communities that were just starting to explore what life in the kingdom of God really could look like. This event, this tragedy, would have knocked people off kilter, and it would have made them rethink everything. By this example, by this tragedy, it was all too clear that seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness was not always going to be easy. Tragedy might strike at times, and our faith might be severely challenged, and we might get to a point where we feel that all is lost. But God doesn't work this way. We know this. Today's gospel ends with this sentence saying that the disciples are collecting John's body and placing it in a tomb. That's how it ends today. But what emerges right after this in the story is that immediately after this, Jesus' followers leave the tomb, and the next story has them encountering a crowd, a, a large crowd with overwhelming needs. And those disciples end up feeding over 5,000 people. That very event of John the Baptist's death that shook their beliefs to the core of their being, this experience of violence and tragedy, help them realize, help them transform their ministry and change, but help them realize who they really placed their hope upon. Their hope was placed on Jesus and his way of love and everything that he had already taught him. All that he is, all that he was, and all that he will ever be. And we, as the people of Trinity, are right alongside those early followers that we read about today. We've been really shook up over the last 15 months. We've had people die. All of our hearts have been pierced in some way with the sword. We've seen our institutions shaken up in ways we never expected and serious economic shocks to the system. We have witnessed climate change in ways that seems to be accelerating, and we've been forced to confront so many challenges of our day. I just read the book, Let Us Dream by Pope Francis, and the thing that he talks about in that book is that as COVID happened, it literally tore open the scabs of our society to realize how vulnerable some parts of the population truly are to the way that everything about how our way of life has been set up. And some of this, once you start thinking about it, really hurts. Because when we look in the mirror, what we are seeing at times is this societal sin. Some of what we've encountered has made us afraid are ready to throw up our hands in the air and just give up altogether. It confronts our theology at its core. But God is faithful. Even in those stories of the Old Testament where the people of Israel are doing all kinds of crazy things, God is always faithful. And God guides us, and we even know through our responses to challenges that we've had, to so many things that the people of Trinity have committed 
to being like those disciples of old. Did those disciples of old know what was next? No, not really. Neither do we. Did they struggle to get going again? Maybe they did, and maybe we do too. But what they ultimately did, and what we will ultimately do, is to follow what Jesus is guiding us to do, to re-engage, to re-emerge, to get back into life and work and recharge and reaffirm all of those vows that we made when we were baptized, to seek out the lost, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind and proclaim a year of blessing a year of the Lord's favor upon everyone. Yes, we are somewhat in the same place as those disciples of old. It's been quite the ride. But even in the present day, we still know that there are hungry people out there. If they can feed 5,000, we can certainly feed 500,000. How? With God's help, anything is possible. The disciples of old confronted the unsolvable challenges of their day because Jesus invited them to. And we are being invited into solving the unsolvable problems of our day because Jesus is inviting, is inviting us to as well. But we have to discern it's going to take planning, intentionality, a lot of prayer. And if we're gathered and we're praying and we're planning and we have this intentionality, we have to have a lot of joy as well. We'll get there and we'll get there together because anything less would be less than what we are capable of. We are the adopted people of God the followers of Jesus and his way of love. And today we will realize that God will keep calling us into a new reality of life in the kingdom of God and that love and care and guidance of God through Jesus will never, ever let us go. I'm going to close today with the prayer that I learned when I was in college by Thomas Merton. It's one of my favorites, and it's the perfect prayer to reassure us that we are never separated from God's guidance, comfort, and love. Let us pray. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you 
are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.